All right. Well, as y'all know, we've been re- we've been going through the New City Catechism uh, together, um, and today we are on question number twelve. See, Chris, do you have that? Okay. Uh, and I'll read the uh, question, and then we'll together read the response. What does God require in the ninth and tenth commandments? The answer: ninth that we do not lie or deceive, but speak the truth in love. Tenth, that we are content, not envying anyone or resenting what God has given them or us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning as sinners. We are worse than we realize we are. We have sins that we have uh, done Uh, And there are things that we have left undone that are sin. Um, These things we are often aware of, but probably mostly we are ignorant of of how we are, what we do, what we say, what we think that might be offensive to you. And if we really um, knew it all and knew and understood your holiness and righteousness, how we would tremble at our situation. But knowing these things by faith... And knowing the gospel that you sent your son who fully took the punishment for our sins. Our sins were not overlooked or swept under the rug, but they were punished with a just punishment on your son. uh, That we might come to you with full confidence as sons and not as enemies, as we deserve to be. And so we thank you for the great grace that you've shown us. Your holiness and our sinfulness has been reconciled in the cross. And we're grateful that we have access to you. Uh, and that we can even come together uh, in the midst of this and know you and the thing that can unify us in a, in a time, especially where so many things can, to, can divide us, is that we are indeed sinful and in need of grace, and we are worthy of the wrath of Yahweh, but we come uh, to worship our Savior who has made us right. And so would you keep that in our minds, not only this morning as we worship you, uh, but throughout the week as we live out the lives that you've assigned to us. Uh, Lord, I pray for your kingdom to advance uh, in this community. I pray for people to come to faith in Christ, to, to know and to understand the gospel, that they would be honest with themselves, whether they might have suppressed the truth about God, uh, or whether they are living in an in a, uh, indifference towards you or an outright rebellion. I pray that... Uh, people would come to know you and see you as their Savior, uh, and not just um, come to you as they ought, but come to you with great delight, joy, and relief um, at what you offer in the gospel, uh, chiefly yourself. And so, Lord, I pray for uh, those in Redeemer Church who um, are in need. Uh, we all feel um, uh, just the, the the weight of life crashing in one thing after another is often how we feel. And we all have needs, and we ask for you to help us, uh, help us to have perspective knowing that you will take care of us and that you would not allow us to envy others who seem to have the the good life that we desire, but that we would be content with the life that you have assigned us. Uh, And Lord, I pray that you would protect us from the evil one who would cause harm uh, in our city, uh, but especially within our church that would tear us apart. And that we would be uh, wise to his schemes, that we would know it. Uh, And again, that we would be honest, quick to repent, and to turn to you and to remember the gospel. And that we would be humble because of what the gospel means. That we were so sinful that the Son of God had to die. 
but that we would also be very confident in that the God who created all things loves us, has adopted us, and is working all things together for our good. And so I pray your blessing on this morning uh, as we uh, hear the reading of your word and the preaching of your word. Would you, Holy Spirit, give us insight and understanding? Uh, Would you give us joy uh, and would you provoke us to worship you uh, as we sing afterwards and come to your table? And so, Jesus, we pray for your blessing on this time. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and stir our hearts. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Our text is Mark 9, verse 2 through 13. Mark 9, verse 2 through 13. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them out. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, <clears throat> looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things, and how, it is, how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as is written of him. Yeah. Uh, as technology advances, there are so many things that are just great, right? Modern medicine, indoor plumbing, all of these are God's common grace as far as I'm concerned. And then there are some ideas that make me say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Uh, I, I think that at the top of the really list right now is got to be social media's facial filters that everybody's so, uh, such a fan of. I mean, facial filters have people editing reality on the fly. And it can be funny, like the filters that take a guy's full beard off instantly and they're shocked by what they see. Uh, and it can be creepy, right? Uh, just this week, it was discovered that a popular young female's profile was, in fact, a 42-year-old Asian man. Uh, so it's like we're, the, the phrase, looks can be deceiving, comes to mind, right? Underneath all of the lighting filters, beauty filters, blemish filters, there is a true nature attempting to be hidden. Now this morning, we're turning to a well-known story of God revealing Jesus's true nature to Peter, James, and John. While it's well-known, if I asked you, what's the meaning of this gospel event? What's the meaning of the transfiguration? What would you say? I think that the order of the events surrounding the transfiguration make it clear that this event is an exclamation point at the end of a series of teachings from Jesus concerning his death and what this will mean for his disciples. This series of events begins with Jesus asking his disciples in Mark 8, 27, 
Who do people say that I am? To which Peter confesses, you are the Christ. Then it says in 831, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Mark says he said this plainly. Immediately after this, there's this shift in his message where he starts telling his disciples and these growing crowds that in 834, if, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Then the story fast forwards about a week and we have the events of the transfiguration. Now, I had never noticed this before until I studied this. Remarkably, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all follow this same pattern. Peter's confession, Jesus' teaching on his suffering, death, and resurrection. He makes the cost of following him clear, and then about six days later, we have the transfiguration. This series of events, it's got to be connected for all three of these gospel writers to preserve that literary structure. So at the very least, we can say that the transfiguration is about these three disciples understanding Jesus' mission and then the cost of following him in discipleship. So with that context in mind, I want to answer three questions this morning. Uh, What did they see? What did they hear? And what did they learn? So first, they saw. They saw the glory of the Son of God. After Jesus leads them to this high mountain, verse 2 says that he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant and white, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Now, this Greek word is metamorphomai, and it's only found in a few New Testament verses. Each verse, though, relates to a drastic change of the body. That's where we get the word metamorphosis, right? Caterpillar to butterfly. That's a drastic change. It doesn't look the same. In first century Judaism and in the rest of the New Testament, there was the belief that God's righteous people would get new glorified bodies in order to enter heaven. This metamorphosis was meant to be for the righteous, and it was meant to be a way for them to share in the glory of God. This is something that everybody was looking forward to, and there were plenty of Old Testament texts to support this. You think about Moses. Remember Moses after he visits with God on Mount Sinai and receives the the law? It says he came down and the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. There's also a number of biblical images that picture dirty, soiled robes of people being removed and God's people being given clothes of fine linen, bright and pure, to represent their given righteousness. The difference here in Mark is that the disciples are seeing something which had been hidden and was now revealed. Jesus is not being given glory. Rather, his glory is being revealed. Jesus is not reflecting the splendor of God. Like Moses, he's radiating his natural glory. He hasn't been given bright, pure clothes. This is the heavenly nature which he had set aside in order to take on the form of a servant and be born in the likeness of men. This is what the disciples are meant to see. Peter, James, and John are seeing an unforgettable sneak preview of Jesus' identity as the Son of God. But that's not all that they see. They also see Elijah and Moses talking with Jesus. 
What in the world is that conversation about? Uh, Luke gives us a hint in Luke 9.31. He says that they were speaking about Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, departure in the Greek text is exodus. Jesus is even now at work leading the people of God out of the bondage of sin and into a new exodus through his death and resurrection. But why Moses and Elijah? They actually have a lot in common. Both of them stood up to tyrannical rulers. Both were leaders that no one seemed to listen to. Uh, Both of their deaths were very unique, if you want to call them deaths. And both heard the voice of God at Mount Sinai. Moses, with the giving of the law, and a discouraged Elijah fleeing from Jezebel in 1 Kings 19 goes to Mount Sinai, where he hears that still, small voice of God and receives encouragement from God. The connection to Mount Sinai is strong in many ways, but this is not a law mountain. This is not Mount Sinai. This isn't a new law. This is a gospel mountain. This is the revealing of salvation itself on earth. Here the law of God and the grace of God peacefully unite in the one who is God incarnate the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. And it seems like Jesus being the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament Messiah promises is what Peter, James, and John are meant to see. Listen to this from Deuteronomy 18. This is God speaking to Moses. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he is speaking in my name. Israel had been waiting on this prophet like Moses for about 1,500 years. And during the prophetic silence of God in the last 400 years, Israel had been hanging on the final promise in the Old Testament. This comes from the end of Malachi. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Sinai for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's how the Old Testament ends. Remember the law of Moses and look for Elijah. And here they are. Standing here, talking with Jesus on this mountain. Peter, James, and John would have grown up hearing these hope-filled stories of coming Messiah. The one who would free their families from oppression and vindicate their ridiculed religion. And this is what they saw on that mountain. The next part of the story, the promised Savior. They They were there to look at him and believe, to see and believe in the Son of God. And it's into this beautiful moment of heavenly revelation that Peter goes and says something silly, right? We can always trust him to kind of break up the the story here. Peter's words are more understandable in light of his fear, what Mark says in verse 6, and, or as Luke says, he was suddenly awakened from a nap. So uh, are any of you guilty of saying silly things as you're like drifting off to sleep or Have you ever woken up from a nap and just been completely disoriented? And I know where you are, I can't figure that out. 
carry that over to this. You wake up and you see your friend talking with two famous dead guys. You're going to be a little confused about what's going on. So Peter, he's wanting this mountaintop experience to continue, right? Like, let's set up some these shelters that kind of come from the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's set this up. Let's just, let's hang out here. This is it, right? Like, this is something important. We need to sit in this. And he and James and John would gladly do this for these honored guests from the past. He's trying to give Jesus honor, but he's putting Jesus on an equal standing with the others. He doesn't call him Lord. He calls him teacher. He says, let's set up three of these things. Peter's mind would only catch up with his words after the cross and the resurrection. This is, in fact, Jesus' reason for telling them later on, tell no one what you have seen until the resurrection. Because we will never understand the person and the work of Christ apart from the cross and resurrection. Our human perspectives, they are often foolish when it comes to the things of God. We don't see the whole picture. Just like Peter, James, and John, we need divine perspective. They saw the glory of the Son of God. They were being given divine perspective. And they heard the voice of God the Father. They heard the voice of God the Father. It says that suddenly a cloud envelops them. The very presence of God comes down on this mountain. God speaks words that thunder with authority. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And immediately we remember the voice heard at Jesus' baptism saying, You are my beloved son. With you I'm well pleased. But notice the difference in these statements. At the baptism, God speaking to Jesus But here on the mountain, God is speaking directly to the disciples. It couldn't be more clear that what they are seeing and hearing, it's for their benefit. This is for them to understand. It's to grow them, to expand their perspective of Jesus. If this is God's beloved, one-of-a-kind son, then of course there is no one else to listen to. Making this even more clear, the cloud disappears, Elijah and Moses vanish, and Jesus alone remains. Those guys were great revealers of truth, along with all the other prophets. But the voice of God commands us to listen to his son, listen to Jesus. And the only listening that's known in the Bible is obedient listening. James teaches the church to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. In the same manner, Moses taught Israel, listen to God, love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, when God speaks, galaxies full of stars burst into existence. When Jesus speaks, storms obey and people dead for days wake up and walk. Listening without obeying rejects the love of God. Listening without obeying is rebellion and unbelief. As Jesus says on the night of his betrayal, the the one who hears my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by the Father. Listening for us is a matter of faith. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. At the transfiguration, God the Father is making a sweeping change to the disciples' worldview. 
From now on, they are to listen to Jesus alone, not just as a teacher, but as the prophet like Moses who has the words of God in his mouth. And bless their hearts, they try, <laughs> they try. The first thing that Jesus says is, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They say, well, what does that mean, Jesus? What do you mean, rise from the dead? Verse 10, they kept this matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. So they see the glory of the Son of God, they hear the voice of God the Father, but now they have to learn from the suffering of God's servants. Learn from the suffering of God's servants. The disciples' heads are spinning, but they have another question for Jesus. They ask him, why do the scribes or scripture experts, these Bible experts, say that first Elijah must come? And he replied, Elijah does come first and restores everything. But how then is it written about the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Wow, they, they did not see this coming. What Jesus is saying is that the scripture experts, they're right about Elijah, but the, the reading the same scripture, they've completely missed the necessary suffering of the Messiah. See, in their eyes, Messiah comes as a radiant, conquering king who takes over, takes control of his people, reestablishes the, the, the rule of Israel. It's not surprising that the disciples were clueless about the Messiah's sufferings. Their leaders had passed down this theological blind spot to them. Psalm 22, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 53, and many others clearly predict a suffering Messiah. But in Jewish tradition, none of these were considered to be about Messiah. We see them and we see Jesus. They saw them, and many times they saw themselves or tried to put themselves in that role of the one who suffers. They did not see their Messiah. They did not see God's salvation. Even though God made this clear since Genesis 3.15, this is God speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. Humanity's Savior is a wounded victor. That's the full picture. That's what God's been trying to show from the very beginning. As for Elijah, he had come in the person of John the Baptist. Jesus had already answered these questions. But everyone had rejected Elijah's message and killed him. And they'll do the same to Jesus. Peter, James, and John learned from the sufferings of God's servants, and they recognize that there's theological blind spots that they've inherited. This later comes in, becomes an important aspect of the gospel message for Peter. Listen to this. This is from a sermon in Acts chapter 3. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did all your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. For Peter, this becomes a gospel message, right? Like, we miss this, guys. See it. See that Jesus was the Messiah because of his sufferings. See it. Repent. Turn. Receive this. 
And then in his letter, first, in first Peter, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated, indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. He's saying that the, the prophets saw this, they carefully inquired, and what happened is that they predicted the sufferings of Christ and then his subsequent glories. All of the disciples came to understand the necessity of Jesus' suffering, and all of them followed Jesus in suffering, dying for the sake of God's gospel. But what about us this morning? Okay, I want to give us three points of application from the text this morning. The first one is this. Look clearly at Jesus. Look clearly at Jesus. Without God's help, we are blind to the gospel and hopeless. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And now with unblinded eyes, the work of God, we, we look to Jesus, as Hebrews 12.2 says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, where we are promised, Revelation 22.4, to see his face for all eternity. Do not put any lesser goal before you, church, Jesus died so that you might live face to face with him once more. Look clearly at Jesus. Set his eyes on how he has been revealed to us by his word. And listen obediently to Jesus. Number two, listen obediently to Jesus. You may be thinking to yourself, well, if I had seen Jesus like that, if I had, had a, heard a voice from the clouds, then nothing could stop me from obeying Jesus. But friends, we don't need to stand on this mountain. Reflecting on these events, Peter later says in 2 Peter that we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. Peter, he's telling Christians like you and me, yeah, we heard a voice from heaven, but you know what's better? Our fully confirmed written word. What's been passed down to us. What God has been trying to tell his people from the very beginning. Let's listen to Jesus obediently by being people of his book and by knowing our Bibles. May we, may we stop passing down theological blind spots. And God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and the strength to confront half-truths in the church. Number three, let's learn to endure suffering confidently. The miracle of the gospel is that just as Jesus was transfigured and changed, so will we. 
Apart from the transfiguration story, metamorphomai is only used two other times in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. For all believers in Christ, God is doing a spiritual work of transformation in us, sanctifying you in such a way that the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is wonderfully and mysteriously becoming your true identity as well. What Paul is saying there in 2 Corinthians is that it's like as we're looking in a mirror, we are becoming what we see in that mirror. We see Christ in that mirror. God is doing a work through his spirit to make us like Christ. But this is not comfortable or easy. Romans 12.2 uses this word as well. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, this word uh, dokimadso, means refining, right? But testing, refining, proving, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, this, this testing, this refining, this is never easy. This is when heat and pressure are pro- applied to something to set out what is trash and what is valuable. This is what's happening in our lives. This is the work of transformation that's happening. James gives it a different spin when he says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing, the refining of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. So, global pandemic brings death and division. I'm confident God is doing something transformative in his church. Uh, My pastor friend in India, who's had to move his family because of death threats, I'm confident that God is using persecution even to bring transformation in his life and the lives of people in that country. And my friends who've recently lost their their twin baby girls at 36 weeks. I, I don't have answers for them. But I do have hope in a sovereign God and confidence that even that kind of suffering is transformative. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of of the man of heaven. And that's it. That's the message of the transfiguration. Pray with me. Uh, Father, we ask this morning that you give your church eyes to see, ears to hear. Father, I ask that you keep us devoted to your word and listening only to Jesus. We trust that even in the, uh, in, in the pain and the loss that we feel in this life, that it is a, only a, a temporary pain that we must endure as we press on to be 
united with you once more face to face. So Father, I I ask that you reveal to us yourself, reveal to our hearts truly who your your son is. Father, that, that you do make us who know you and love you, make us be like Christ. Father, help this transformation then be winsome in our communities so that people see something different in us. They see Christ in us, in our actions, and our words. That many more are drawn in to believe, Father. May you open the eyes of those who are blind, Father. Let your light powerfully shine into their hearts. Even this morning, as... Uh, as, as we, we sing and we, we worship, um, may you encourage us that you are, are doing something. You are producing this transformation in our lives as well. In Jesus' name.